Okay, we're going through excuses Christians use for not keeping the Ten Commandments. Recently, someone uh, asked me a question. He said this. He said, what do you do when your church is teaching that the law was abolished, nailed to the cross? Now, you would think, I mean, it's amazing that as a Christian, I have to defend the law of God. I mean, I could understand prison inmates, you know, not wanting to keep the law of God. I could understand rebels. Uh, I could understand anyone outside the body of Christ uh, not wanting to keep the law of God. But what I cannot wrap my mind around is that there are churches, just as this man asked the question, you know, what do you do when you're a church? Notice, not, not, a, not a prison, uh, not a pack of rebels, uh, not Hollywood, uh, not uh, our inter- entertainment industry, but when your church is teaching that the law was abolished and nailed to the cross, what do you do then? Now, my response was to find another church. Uh, that was the quickest answer I could possibly give. However, I understand that people when they go to church, it's not so much doctrine they are attached. It's not truth that they're really the reason they're going to church, although they will tell you that, but most church-going people don't even understand what truth is. But it's more about the relationships. It's more about the people that you meet, because regardless of the church or what it's teaching or what it's not teaching, there are some good people in probably every church across the board, across our land. Um, very good people, and and that is what people find it so hard to leave behind. It, we're talking about breaking off relationships. So when I say, okay, just find another church, I realize just how difficult that may be for you because, I mean, it may be a family church. It may be uh, a church that you've gone to all of your life, uh, a local in your local community, a church that 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 you've been going to in your local community for forty years, and so and all of a sudden you find out it's teaching this heresy. It's teaching that the law was abolished; it's been nailed to the cross, and you have gotten wisdom. You have first of all cracked open the Bible yourself and blew the dust off the Bible and started reading it for yourself, and you come across statements like "Think not." that I've come to destroy the law, a statement by Jesus. Now, so why are Christians thinking the very opposite of what Jesus said don't think? Do not think, do not let it enter your pea brain mind that I have come to abolish the law. And yet, what many Christians are teaching, what many churches are teaching, is just that, that Jesus came, just as, again, as this man asked the question, what do you do when your church is teaching that the law was abolished and nailed to the cross. Now, you could, instead of finding another church, you could try to convince the preacher that he's wrong. But, you know, it would be a cold day in hell before that would ever occur, probably. Uh, You see, a lot of these preachers have gone to seminary school. Did I say seminary school? I meant seminary school. But in seminary school, they are taught a set of lies. Okay, what kind of lies are they taught? Well, they're taught the false teaching of the immortality of the soul, that man has an immortal soul that either flits off to heaven or hell when you die. That's a lie. That's a false teaching. It was the first lie Satan ever told. 
and that is you shall not surely die. What was Satan teaching? He was teaching that you have an immortal soul inside of you, something that cannot die. The first lie Satan ever told was that you have an immortal soul. So you could try to convince your preacher that he's wrong, but I don't think you're going to get very far with that. Is That Really in the Bible presents the teaching ministry of David Freeman. Okay, today we're going to look at two scriptures that seem to contradict one another. The first scripture is Romans 3 and verse 20. It says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. And then we drop back to another chapter, just a chapter before, Romans 2 and verse 13. That says, for not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. Now, that sounds like a contradiction there. I mean, it really does. But what we got to understand is this. The Bible never contradicts itself. So when you run into a contradiction, wherever that contradiction may be in the word of God, you're reading something and then you read in another place. It seems to say the exact opposite We understand that the problem is not with the Bible. The problem is with my understanding, with our understanding of the Bible. You have to identify where the problem is because the Bible never contradicts itself. So these two verses seem to say, first of all, no one is going to be justified by keeping the law. And then it seems to turn around and say, only those who are keeping the law of God are going to be justified. So we're going to go through this today, and I'm going to explain it for you so that you can have wisdom, you can have knowledge, you can have understanding, you'll be able to explain it to others what these two verses are talking about. Romans, let's read it again, Romans 3 and verse 20. Therefore, By the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. And then Romans 2 and verse 13, for not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. Now, let's understand something. You will never understand these two verses unless you understand the role of the law. So many Christians are clueless, absolutely clueless as to what is the role of the law in the first place, first place. In other words, why did God give the law to begin with? And unless you understand this, you will never understand these two verses. And so many Christians just simply go off the deep end when it comes to understanding the role of the law. Well, this first verse, Romans 3 and verse 20, tells us the role of the law, but it's easy to overlook. Let's read it again. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. Now, why? Why by works of the law? Why by the deeds of the law is no one going to be made right in the the eyes of God? That's what the word justify means. It just simply means to be made right in the eyes of God. So how come 
no one is going to be justified. You know, therefore, by the deeds of the, of the law, there shall no flesh be justified and made right in his sight. Why is that? Well, the next statement explains why. It says, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. In other words, Paul answers the question. What question? Why can't the law make you right before God? Because by the law is the knowledge of sin. In other words, that's the role of the law. The, the law of God is revelatory. It tells us what sin is. Now, this is important to know what sin is, but it's important to understand from God's perspective what sin is. Because we can't just go around making up our own standard of morality, you see. Well, I think this is right, and I think uh, homosexuality is okay as long as two people love each other. No, no, we have to have a higher being called God who has the authority to tell us, no, this is sin. This is what is sin. You see, we have to have that higher authority. Now, you'd be amazed at the religious-going people who don't submit, do not submit to that higher authority. So we should be able, in any culture, in any society, say, okay, what does God say about this? And then once we read what God says, that settles it. There's no more debate. There's no more discussion. There's no more trying to weasel one's way out from under what God says is sin. Okay, the role of the law is to educate and reveal. 1 John 3, 4 says sin is the transgression, the breaking of God's law. So you want to know what sin is. Did you know if you did a survey of a thousand religious people and asked them, what is sin? What is the biblical definition of sin? Do you realize most church-going people cannot tell you the biblical definition of sin. They don't know it. They Maybe they've been in church for 40 years, and they could not tell you, well, sin is committing adultery. Sin is lying. Sin, in other words, sin is the transgression of the Ten Commandments. That's what sin is. Now, let me give you an analogy here. The speed limit sign gives you, or a speed limit sign, gives you the knowledge of how fast you should you should drive, okay? Can it, now question, can it make you drive 55? Uh, there was a song, uh, Sammy Hagar, I Can't Drive 55, okay. Uh, I think that was back when the, the speed limit was reduced to 65 to 55, and, you know, he talks about he can't get his car out of second gear, He's in this Ferrari, you know, he can't, you know, can't get it out of second gear. All right. Can it make, can the speed limit sign make you drive 55? Well, no, that's, that's not the role of the law. The role of that speed limit sign is just to give you the knowledge of what you should be doing. Driving 55. Okay. You see, actually, now, now think about this, actually doing the right thing. The law is just revelatory. It just tells you what sin is. Okay, doing the right thing has, has to do with relationship. It has to do with respect. It has to do with respect for the lawgiver. It has to do with the knowledge that this law is really for my own good and well-being. You see, you know, this speed limit sign, even though I don't like it, even though I can't get my car out of second gear, 
it is really for my own well-being and safety because it's a fact if you hit a tree at 105 versus 55 either one is not good but there's a higher probability a much higher probability that you're going to survive the one hopefully you know the, the the 55 mile an hour versus the 105 because of all the safety devices and the airbags and everything, the seat, if you're wearing a seatbelt, you know, uh, it's a higher probability. It, it, it's really for our own good. Speed limit signs, stop signs, stop lights, yield signs. You know, it's really, it, it just gives us the knowledge of, of what, what we should be doing, but it can't make you do the right thing. Doing the right thing has to do with relationship. It has to do with respect, respect for the lawgiver. Giver. It has to do with the knowledge. And here, here's a critical point, knowledge that this law, whatever law you want to look at, that God never gave a bad law? Do you worship a God that went around giving bad laws? Do you know how many Christians are sitting in church believing that God gave all kinds of ridiculous, insane laws? And they don't want to keep them. They want to be religious. now, and Trust me on that. They want to be religious. They want to go to church six days a week and twice on Sunday. And they want to sing in a choir. They want to appear to be religious. They like their church going, but they are—they have no respect for the lawgiver. They think God went around giving bad laws. Now, grace comes along and says, okay, I have broken these laws, and the lawgiver has freely forgiven me. That's what grace is. Even though I don't deserve it, you know, I repent. I say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for running that speed limit, uh, driving over the speed limit. I'm sorry for running that stop sign. I'm sorry for telling that lie. And grace comes along and says, okay, I'm going to freely, undeserved grace forgive you of that sin. Okay, let's go back to it. Romans 3 and verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. Why? Because by the law is the knowledge of sin. Okay. Now, let's, let me give you another analogy. Let's say I get finally, after 40 years of being in church, I finally get serious about keeping God's law, and I, I finally figure out that, that God has given these laws for my own well-being and for my own good. He's given me these laws to make my life work. What do I mean, make your life work? We know the law that says don't commit adultery. Why couldn't God have said, commit adultery, go out and commit. Instead of thou shall not, why couldn't he just tell us to commit adultery? You know, I mean, wouldn't we be happier? Okay. They say, let me explain this. They say that there are bugs, for a better term, uh, inside of our bodies that can be shared back and forth in sexual intercourse between husband and wife and nothing happens. Yeah, bugs, you know, that can be actually shared back and forth between husband and wife and nothing happens. Now, when you introduce multi, you know, more than one partner or you start talking about cheating and going to this person and that person and multiple partners, and, and what happens is these bugs mutate, they divide and conquer, and that's where STDs come from. It's, it's the violation of breaking this law that says don't commit adultery, be faithful to your spouse. 
when we go outside of that law, bad things happen, like STDs, okay? So God gave us this law to protect the marriage, to protect the family system, to protect your physical body from harm. Okay, now let's say, okay, I say, God, I'm keeping your law, and I am right in your eyes. I should be justified in your eyes. You know, I finally figured out the law's for my own good, and now that I'm keeping your law, I'm, you know, I should be made right in your eyes. You know, I should be justified. And God would come back and say, but wait a minute, David, what about all those sins you committed before you got serious about keeping my laws? You see, this is why the law can't make you right. In fact, Romans 3 and verse 25 says this. It says, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission or forgiveness of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. Notice that. For the remission or forgiveness of sins that are past. Yeah, it, it's your past that God wipes away. It's your past that you can do absolutely nothing about. Just because you start keeping the law of God today does nothing about your sinful past, does it? You have to be, you, have, you need a Savior, okay? That Savior is Jesus Christ that died for your sins, for your past sins. And, you know, just because I start keeping the law today, again, does nothing about my law breaking in the past. And you see, grace comes in even after we get serious about keeping God's law because we still, from time to time, fall flat on our face and sin. Even with the Holy Spirit of God, even after you've been forgiven of your past, you go down in the waters of baptism, you have hands laid on you for the receiving of the Spirit of God, you come up out of the waters, you're a new creature in Christ. You start to live and you're serious about living a new way of life the old man, you want to kill the old man, destroy the old man, which that's what baptism represents, the burial of the old man, and you want to be a new creature in Christ. Well, the problem is, with all of your sincerity, the world and its temptation is tough. The evil one is tough. And, and, and here's the thing. When you are baptized, it's just like someone draws a bullseye on your back. And Satan knows who you are. You know, for the most, before baptism, Satan didn't have to worry about you. I mean, you, you were screwing up your own life well enough on your own. You know I mean, you, but once you receive the Spirit of God, once you go through that process of forgiveness and receiving the Holy Spirit of God, you now have a mark on you. And Satan is after you every day. And he knows your weakness from your past, you see. Don't ever forget that, that Satan understands your weakness about as, about as well as you do, or probably better. So he knows what trips you up from your past, by your past behavior, of course. All he has to do is observe your past behavior. So what I'm saying is, grace comes in also after we get serious about keeping God's law, after baptism, because we still fall flat on our face. Grace undeserved pardon and forgiveness. All right, now let's go to this other verse that seems to contradict. Romans 2 and verse 13. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. What does this verse tell us? 
Well, it tells us that only the doers of the law come into a position to be made right by God's grace. Now, why is that? Why would God look at doers of the law? Now, don't ask me where people fit, religious people who believe and hear from their church every day that Christ is the end of the law and he's abolished the law and he's nailed the law to his cross and the law has been fulfilled and therefore there's nothing you have to do. Don't, you know, because they're, it's not even capable for them to be doers of the law. Okay, only the, only the doers of the law come into a position to be made right, right by God's grace. Why? Because they have repented of the breaking of the law. Now, this is a no-brainer. I mean, who are you going to forgive? You know, here's a person who comes to you and says, oh, man, I'm sorry I, I missed. I'm sorry I stole that from you. I, I want to make it right. You know, I mean, are you going to be gracious to that person? Of course you are. Are you going to be gracious to the person that, that's stealing you blind night and day? He's stealing your staples. He's stealing your paper from the office. He's stealing, you know, files, and, and, and he's using up your Internet. And, and, you know, are you going to be gracious to that person who has not repented of their sins? No, you're not. Why would you? You know, you're not going to offer unconditioned par- unconditional pardon for that person because they haven't repented. They haven't come to you and said, I'm sorry. Okay, they're really, they don't deserve grace, do they? Do rebels deserve God's grace? Yeah, when they repent. But people who are living in a state of rebellion are basically out of the loop. Okay, now who are the hearers of the law? Well, there are people that hear it but don't do it. They're the ones that believe that the law has been abolished, been nailed to the cross, you see. Oh, yeah. They hear what the law says, but they will not keep it. They are out of the loop. They're not going to be made right in the eyes of God. Now, now understand, I didn't say they couldn't be religious. I didn't say they couldn't go to church six days a week and twice on Sunday. I didn't say they couldn't sing in the choir and witness to people and tell people how much they love Jesus and, and, and just love the Lord. You know, I just heard a story recently about a woman who was really a, a flag-waving Christian that just told everybody about, every, everybody she met and how much she loved Jesus and witnessing here, there, and yonder. And she was living uh, with her boyfriend outside of marriage. And she saw no conflict between the two. You know, no, no, no conflict. What's, nothing wrong with this. No, there is something wrong with it. There's a reason God says, you know, marriage, commitment, Quit running away from responsibilities. To be faithful to your wife. To enter into a covenant with this person and say, I am going to be faithful to you until I die, for better or worse. Okay. So, who are the hearers of the law? Many of those are Christians who go to church and they hear a dead theology that says it. It, the law's been abolished, it's been nailed to the cross, it's been fulfilled, we're not under the law. They hear what the law says, but they will not do it. What I'm saying is the hearers of the law deserve no grace. I know that's harsh, but it's the truth. God looks at the heart, and he, he asks the number one fundamental question, has this person repented of breaking that law? That's what he's looking at, Okay. I mean, imagine a courtroom scene. You've got a convicted murderer 
And he says, look, I'm not sorry for killing this person. If I had half a chance, I'd kill him all over again. And he spits in the judge's face, you know. Are you as a judge going to offer this person grace? Well, of course not. Of course not. All right, Romans 2 and verse 13. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. Now, here's the million-dollar statement. This is where everybody trips up at. All religious people seem to, well, not all, but many religious people trip up right here. We're looking at not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. Here it is. Listen closely. The doers of the law are not justified by the law. They're justified by God's grace. And that is the difference. No, they're not justified because they keep the law. That's not the role of the law. The law is just revelatory. It tells you what sin is. No, the doers of the law are justified not by the law, but by God's grace. So we come to these two verses again, Romans 3 and verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. And then Romans 2 and verse 13, for not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. So if we summarize these two verses, basically what it's saying is only those who know what their sin is and have repented are going to be justified freely by God's grace. Now, if we consider, someone, someone might ask the question, weren't there people in the Old Testament who were made right by works of the law? Well, let's take a look at it. James 2 and verse 17. Even so, faith, if it has not works, is dead being alone. Well, you know what? What James is saying is faith without obedience is dead. Now, you know, it was, it was Martin Luther that called James the epistle of straw. He thought, Martin Luther thought that James was talking salvation by works. He's not. James is discussing how the two work together, faith and works. You can't just have faith. You ever met people who just say faith and they talk about faith and just have faith in Jesus and that's all you need? Faith alone. Yeah, you, you, you hear that in theology a lot. Well, what James is discussing is you got that faith without obedience is dead. And so Martin Luther disagreed with that and called him the epistle of straw. Continuing on, James 2 and verse 20, but will you know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? What's that saying? It's saying faith without obedience is dead. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac, his son, upon the altar? Goes on and tells his story. You know, God looked at Abraham and said, that man has a right attitude. Now, why? Why did God look at Abraham and say, I can work with him? There's only one answer to that question. He did what he was told. He obeyed God. Abraham, go sacrifice your son, Isaac. And he was making preparation to do it and would have done it. And an angel stopped him and, 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 and God, you know, now I know you believe because I can see your obedience. Yeah. Don't ever underestimate in a Christian's life the necessity of obedience toward God. You just can't have a relationship without it. 
And again, I mean, there's all kinds of people that do and claim they do, but it, it's it's a facade. It's a fake. It's a people's Christianity is often like an onion. You know, you start peeling off layers and layers and layers, and then you get down to the core, and there's nothing there. It's just a facade. I mean, it's just it's just you know inside, like Jesus said, inside they're full of dead men's bones. You know, it's just it's nothing there. James 2 and verse 23, and the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness and he was called a friend of God. How did God know Abraham believed? He did what he was told. He obeyed God. You see them, James 2 and verse 24, how that by works a man is justified and not by faith alone. Notice that, not by faith alone. It takes obedience, obedience and faith. Likewise, also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way? How did God know Rahab believed? She did the right thing. It goes on to say, James 2 and verse 26, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also, faith without obedience is dead. I'm telling you, there's a lot of people out there who have a dead faith, a dead religion. Now, again, they can't get enough of church, but that's, that's what it culminates into. So what can, can I conclude from a person who says to me, just faith in Jesus, faith alone? I can conclude it is a dead faith. You see, in these examples, their works revealed a right attitude. God looked at Abraham's works and said, there is a man I can work with. He has faith. He really does believe in me because he did what, he, what I told him to do. They were not saved by works or their right attitude. They were saved by grace. Works revealed the right attitude that God must have. That's why I say don't, under, don't ever underestimate the importance of obedience in a relationship with God. When it comes to God's law, do you have the right attitude? Do you have the right attitude? You know, I remember one time we hired a guy to do some work for us, and we do masonry work, and business was sort of slow at that time, and we got him to do some work on the farm that my sister owned, and uh, we wanted him to do some dig some uh, post hole diggers and dig some holes for some fence posts. And he said, I can't do that, or I won't do that. That's not my job. You know, and we got rid of that guy very quickly because he didn't have the right attitude. He just didn't have the right attitude. And we got rid of him. We did not work with him. God does the same thing. You know, he does the same thing. God says, I can't work with you at this time. Because you don't have, you don't understand the value of obedience, doing what you're told, doing what the law tells you to do. I can't work with you at this time. Now let's ask a million dollar question: Is obedience required for salvation? You know, I thought about this. If I say yes, then people are going to say you're a legalist. Ah, uh, you're talking about salvation by works. If I say no then I'm just a part of mainstream churchianity. They're all saying that. Oh, no, it's not. You know. So is obedience required for salvation? Yes. I'll give you the answer. Absolutely. Obedience is required for salvation. But your obedience is not the agency that saves you. 
Jesus Christ is the agency that saves us. Grace is the agency that saves you. It's not your obedience that saves you, but does God expect you to obey him? Yes. Is obedience required for your salvation? Yes, absolutely. But again, your obedience is not the agency that saves us. It is grace and Jesus Christ. You see, there's an illusion of how people were saved in the Old Testament. You know, there's like in the Old Testament, people were saved by works of the law. This is what many people think, and they're wrong. You know, in the Old Testament, people were saved by works of the law. In the New Testament, we have grace and we have Jesus, and that's how they were saved. No, no, no. No, people have always been saved by the grace of God. You see, Jesus Christ's sacrifice goes forwards and backwards. It goes backwards and covers all those people that, that, that God dealt with in the Old Testament. Now, he didn't deal with a lot of them, but there are people, King David and, and Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, that people dealt with. But, but Christ's sacrifice goes backwards and it goes forwards into the future. And, and that grace of that one singular sacrifice that is in the middle covers both both ends of the spectrum spectrum you see you see even with your most heartfelt felt desire and effort to obey god you will still make mistakes and that's why your obedience doesn't save you doesn't doesn't you know can't justify you but it is necessary for you to have a spirit of obedience and to be willing to do what god tells you so you'll still make mistakes. And that's why the agency for your salvation must be by, the God, by God's grace. For more information, check us out online at isthatreallyinthebible.net. Listen to the podcast, watch the weekly program, worship with us on our weekly Sabbath service, and be sure to visit our free bookstore. Again, the website is... Is that really in the Bible dot net?